And we are back. We're the 12 sided guys. We have Matt as Pine. Hi. Scott as Roos. That's me. Jordan as Ebby. Salutations. Sabrina as Nari. Hey there. And me, Paul, as all of the NPCs, including the extremely helpful one you guys missed in our last session. Jerk. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for following along with us on this adventure. If you want more content, including access to my notes and maps, maybe consider becoming a patron by going to patreon.com slash 12sidedguys. That's the number one, two-sidedguys. The world of Pavantis keeps getting bigger, and so does the wiki. There are even maps for some of the Imperial provinces on there, like Arkelvi province and Almar province. Even if you just want to show us some love, there's an option for that as well. Seth showed us some love and became a patron. So to give a little love back, I decided to name an NPC after Seth. But too bad, it was that same extremely helpful one that you guys missed in our last session. <laughs> oh no, oh no. Man, poor Seth. <laughs> hey, it's not my fault you guys missed him. Uh, we're the worst. Anyway, if your first foray into battling with cards wasn't Magic the Gathering, Pokemon, or Yu-Gi-Oh!, but instead involved a guy named Rooks and an elf named Darwin, then this podcast is for you. It's the Crystal Codex, episode 15. That is a deep cut, Paul. Man. Yeah, what's that one from? Arcana. I, it's a game called Arcana. Arcana. It was a first person like dungeon exploration game where you had, you were like, you cast magic using cards and you had like these elemental uh, um, like uh, helpers that were different um, cards. Every time I make an Arcana check, I think Rooks. Yeah. I f so you, you prefaced it with cards. So I fully expected you to say like triple triad or something. But man, that was, that was one I did not get. Yeah, well, there we go. All right, awesome. Deep cut. Ebby, you seem to have been blessed with Lord Moshe's wisdom. Or, I mean, maybe wisdom's just a byproduct of eternal life, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts on what transpired in the basement last night. Colbury, or I guess the imposter Fobry, he just, he made me so nervous. I don't know if what he said can be trusted, but... If these rumors, if this prophecy is true, at least even in part, there's a living heir. I just, I don't know how much we can trust anything that he said. I mean, he was calmly hiding out in the same room as the buried body of the man who he replaced. So, and I mean, if it weren't for the fact that Applebottom's mouth is almost as big as his backside, we wouldn't even have known that there was more of the prophecy. And... I mean, this man had the creepiest interest in recording everything. He was very well aware that there was more of that prophecy. Not that it even matters, I guess. Knowing the last few lines don't do us any good when we don't understand. I mean, honestly, the whole thing is beyond my understanding. Fogery seems to think inevitability is evil. Applebottom seems to think this stasis is evil. Neither one will elaborate or can elaborate. I guess the one thing we know is that the disc seems to be of great importance to everyone. And until we know more, I don't know if I want anyone finding it. I mean, obviously I trust Fallen Heaven over the Empire, but it almost seems to be beyond the scope of either faction. 
<sighs> I guess you're right. Fallen Heaven is probably our best hope. Cure will know what to do. We'll call her in the morning. Very nice. I like I like the big bottom. Yes, that was, that was great. That was great. <laughs> oh, he does have a big bottom. <laughs> okay, you guys are on a ship. It is the evening after you left um, the the mayor's retreat, her home, and you have been sailing now for probably four or five hours. Um, Braff is. Uh, quite adept at handling this little this little boat, um, tying off things when it's needed. A couple times the wind dies and you have to pull out a couple oars just to kind of keep things going. But for the most part, it's been powered by the wind. The rain is pouring down, though. It is very uncomfortable. There's no place to get out of the rain except for under cloaks or blankets. And that's where we are. So why don't I'm, you guys... I'm picturing Braff as Zach Braff from Scrubs. And so, so uh, Pine's going to ask him, he's like, is it hard being so far away from your chocolate bear? <laughs> you know what? You can picture him as Zach Braff. That is 100% fine. But his hair is red um, and he's got little fox ears on the top of his head instead of uh, human ears. But other than that, yeah, sure. Zach Braff. Cool. Zach Braff, um, early scrubs ears. I don't okay. know what he looks like anymore. Nari is definitely going to be throwing up over the side of the ship. She has never been on a boat before, and she is not oh, a fan. Why don't you make a constitution save, actually? Or a constitution... Yeah, a constitution save. Let's just see how you handle it. <laughs> my god! I got a nat one again! What is wrong oh with me? Oh jeez. <laughs> oh, man, yes. It is all coming up. In fact, um, you know, you guys have this egg. Now you don't have any way to cook it, because you're on a boat. Um, but just the idea, like you, you make them hide the egg away because even looking at anything that's, that's food just makes you heave over the side. So yeah, um, Nari will say you are sick. Um, golly, what should there, should, should there be a punishment for that? What? <laughs> well, as soon as I, as soon as Pine sees that Nari is sick, he's going to go put his hands on like his hand on your back and kind of rub like the, the top of your back between your shoulder blades and say, there, there. It's okay. You'll feel better soon. And I'm going to go ahead and use five of my commander's morale to heal disease or poison. Okay, so Nari will say that your stomach eases up. You're not throwing up anymore. You still don't like the ship, but you don't feel that same sickness that you were feeling before. Oh, oh, well, thank you. I feel so much better. Oh, my God. This is a barbaric way to travel, to be honest. Honestly, if it, if it weren't so rainy, it'd actually be quite pleasant, but... We can't really see much, and I'm wet. Nari snorts loudly. <laughs> Speak for yourself there, Pine. I'm a little bit unsettled by this whole prospect as well, Nari. I mean, it's it's nice and all, but it's not lost on me that if I were to fall off of this, I would sink to the bottom of whatever it is we're floating on. <laughs> oh, God, I didn't even think about that. Oh, Ebby. But, Ebby, do, do you breathe? No. So, it's not the worst thing in the world, but it doesn't seem pleasant. Rust would be a concern, possibly, but I think you'd be okay. So, in the event that we need an anchor, we just tie a rope around you? Yes, I guess so. <laughs> For the good of the group. <laughs> I'm just teasing you, Abby. I won't push you overboard. 
So I'm remembering the conversations we had in the last session, and Pine came away from those conversations very frustrated. Um, I think we need to be on our guard, even more so than normal. It seems that we carry something that is being sought after by multiple factions for, for who knows what. I fear we're losing sight of the goal, which is death to the Empire and all that. That might be your goal. I'm just here until we can get rid of Ramsey and find out exactly where this air is. If there's a prophecy about it, you know, it, like I'm not a religious person, but there's a good likelihood that there actually is an air. And then what will you do with the air? Well, I, my plan is to take him back to my boss, Tigish. And that's it? That's 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 your only plan? It seems like this is a little bit bigger than that. I I can't imagine your sister would agree with that. Uh, look, I I don't want to give the wrong impression about what I'm doing here. I I work for Howling Talon. I have a job that I'm doing. I appreciate the company and I I I find myself enjoying our chatter, but I, I am still a member of Howling Talon and that's that's not going to change. Well, I appreciate the honesty. I just, I guess it seems like this is a little bit bigger than, than maybe what we thought. Well, what would you have me do? I, I can't do anything with this, this pizza shield. I mean, it kind of seems like you might know someone who would probably have a good idea what to do with it. <laughs> I could ask, I could ask Tigish, but I, I don't know that he would have any more information than anyone else. I was more thinking Kira. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Kira. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, wait, real quick, real quick. Keep your conversation going. But, but, Ebby, when you're standing kind of listening in a little bit, when Nari says that um, Roos knows somebody who might know what to do with it, you feel a little kick on your leg. And when you look down, it is um, Chancellor Ramsey. He kicks you. In your leg a little bit, not hard, just kind of a nudge. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, sorry. Go ahead, continue. Kira might know what to do with it, but it's it has nothing to do with me. Yeah, no, I mean, I like I said, I appreciate your honesty, and if that's if that's where you are, I respect that. I just thought that maybe, um, with your sister being who she is, and with the world being the way it is, and that maybe you would have a a little bit of a bigger vision. I, I don't know what you expect from me on this, but I, I'm just working a job, and I don't think that, realistically, the four of us can do much about all of this inevitability, if you will. I think we need to be careful when it comes to the crystal, the crystal disc. Um, the uh, our guest here. Mr. Applebottom spoke with me while you were down below and it appears to be quite a significant artifact, something of pretty significant power. Uh, I think we do need to understand what its role is in all of this before we go handing it over to any side, frankly, because it falling into the wrong hands, even well-intentioned hands, but still wrong, may prove disastrous. 
Ebby speaks wisdom once again. Bruce, you say that uh, you have no part of it, but if we're to believe Ramsey and Colbury, everybody will be impacted by this. This is something on a global scale. And nobody wants to share their information. <laughs> I feel like I tell everyone everything. Everyone else is being secretive. Do we need like a like a, a deception check for that one? Uh, I, I don't hold back too much. I feel like I, I feel like that's pretty honest for Roos. I feel like Roos has been one hundred percent honest. Hey, I'm just doing a job. You've been very honest from the get go. No, he had, and I feel like that's what I was trying to say. Like I respect that. Like if that's what you're doing, I just thought this might have changed things for you, especially now that I know who your sister is. So I'm not going to lie, your sister is super cute. <laughs> You know, I, I'm. I'll try and let that slide. Um, but uh, yeah, I, she and I have never seen eye to eye. We're so very different people, taking different walks in this life. I, I, I just don't see how inevitability. If it's, if we're to take it at face value, if it is inevitable, what can we realistically do to stop it? Something that's inevitable will happen. So why get involved? Because to do nothing is to admit that you're powerless. To do nothing is to only think of oneself, not think of the good you could do for others. If it's inevitable, there's pain we could ease. And quite frankly, I'm not convinced that it even is inevitable. I mean, I don't know if I trust any of these people who have talked to us like they just they're not trustworthy agreed they all have their own agenda and they're unwilling to share all that they know if they truly wanted us on their side they would be more forthcoming wait you think colbury had a more detailed biography of me <laughs> i think he's very interested in you now <laughs> Look, I'm I'm happy to travel with you guys. I don't want to give you the impression that I haven't enjoyed our time together. I just don't want you to feel like this is permanent. I had a boyfriend say that to me once. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's man. good. While we're traveling, maybe we can help you find this heir. What was the prophecy again? Maybe we can try to figure out what it means. Yeah. I really would appreciate that. So the prophecy was, A king I see in raiment fine, Upon his flesh the worms now dine. The line of Evelyn is strained, Within one child its blood remains. Atop the trees a shadow lies, The mountain table blocks the skies. The air in ignorance who plays, Amongst the fallen leaves and shortened days. That's what we heard from, from Colbury. Applebottom gave us this in addition. When mountain's ink begins to break, and Moshe's oar a breath does take, when petal falls but tree grows strong, what once was stopped again moves on. The ancient knowledge is unearthed, a plot of ages long since birthed. What was to be may yet hold sway, if the angel has his say. Huzzah! <laughs> hey, nonny, nonny. Nonny, nonny, hey, nonny, nonny, ho. <laughs> While we're traveling together, I'm happy to help you hold on to this this crystal disc 
and protect it. But I, honestly, I'm just curious to see what drives you and, and what you guys would do in a situation like this. Just so foreign to me. Bruce, this is new territory for us all. I think what's, what's, what's important here is that we're doing the best we can. You know, Roos, speaking of inevitability, this has been something that's been on my mind. Um, of course, when we were initially speaking to this individual here laying at my feet, uh, back in the, in the cave, he mentioned it, back in the facility. And then I felt like I had heard Neum mention it. I had some sort of a, one of those passing visits almost visions, if you will, and he mentioned it. When it comes to inevitability, indeed, it may be destined or doomed to occur no matter what. However, finding our place within it may still be an appropriate and important step. For example, if you look in the world, death isn't it is inevitable. It's an inevitability, and yet we fight against it, and we push and we struggle and we move and we we do everything we can to preserve our life to the best that we can and are we wrong to do that no i think in fact the world is a better place generally speaking because we try i'm of the mindset that we need to accept life for how it is and death is a part of that inevitability is a part of accepting how this world is and if you try and fight against it, that's what will cause suffering in your life. If you pain over what the world could be rather than accepting it for what it is and living happily within what it is, that's what causes suffering. Indeed. And, and I think you're correct. To accept that is, I think, an important piece. Consider this, though. We don't yet know what it is that is inevitable. Assume it is either one of two things. It likely will be much more complex than this, but assume it is something that is universally good for everyone, and assume it is universally bad for everyone. It's one of those two things. If it's universally bad and we try and fail, then no harm done necessarily. We didn't make it any worse than it already was. But assume that the universally good thing is the outcome that is inevitable. And it comes about because we fulfill our role and we try to bring about that good thing. Perhaps it may seem as though the odds are against us, but because we played our role, it became reality. It was inevitable, but it required still that we took action. I, I like what you're saying, but by that same logic, fighting against it only has two outcomes. You either stop something that's really bad, or you stop something that's really good. Who are we to decide? You know, I think you're, you're very astute in asking that question. I feel like I have more questions myself. I don't think that it is as black and white as it perhaps seems. Ugh, this rain is terrible. You guys hear a... <laughs> as um, Chancellor Ramsey tries to get the, the gag out of his mouth again, and cannot, with a natural two. <laughs> <laughs> Who are we to decide? 
That's exactly who we are. We have power. We have choices in this life. To say something's inevitable, to say something is completely out of our power, is to, is, is to deny what little power we have to change things for the better. We can't know the future. We can't know what could be if we do this or don't do that. All we know is what we seek to understand and then act on. Um, Jordan, as Pine can finishes, Abby gets a, a memory. This is not an actual conversation with Neum, but it brings back to your memory something that Neum had said to you very recently. And it was a conversation that you overheard. And he said, as he's talking to somebody else, he says, well, if your only argument is inevitability, then I think my case has already been won. We control our destinies, not some higher concept of the inevitable that so many seem to spout off about of late. And then he says, the alternative is to do nothing. And I cannot just sit by and do nothing. I can't. That, that conversation comes back to your brain. I think Ebby wants to kind of paraphrase that and explain that to the group. Okay. Uh, he'll set it up by saying, I had some sort of a recalled memory, if you will. It's like I was overhearing or overseeing a conversation and it went like this. And just kind of relay that to the group so that way they get a sense of that. It sounds like that Neum is a very uh, astute person as well. I think I'd get along with him. I think so, too. I mean, he, uh, <laughs> he woke me, so I have, feel like I have nothing but kind thoughts for him. Or I guess, I guess I woke myself. I'm intrigued enough to follow with you guys for a time. We'll be glad to have the company, Roos. We do very much Enjoy traveling with you. I, I think I can speak for all of us. The feeling is mutual. I, I, I really have only traveled with one other person before this, and, and you guys are much better company than Tigish. I'll just say that. Although you did stay in a lot, a lot nicer places with Tigish than you did with this group. Yes, this is true. And I think that's part of where Roos kind of gets his uppity. Did, <laughs> did you ever take a Twilight River cruise with, with Tigish? No, um, I don't believe I, we did not. Unfortunately, we did travel to some interesting locales um, while he was training me. But he's he's not quite uh, as hands on a person as as I am in the field. So it was mostly me doing doing the catching. A lot of the places you were at had nicer weather, though. Um, yes, this is true. Yes, uh, Sabrina, I would like Nari to make a perception check as you're just kind of sitting on the boat, floating along. Go ahead and make a. Just a perception check. Trying not to vomit. Yeah, exactly. All right, I rolled a 20. Nari, you... As... As Ebby mentions his conversation with Neum from the past, you your mind goes back to something that happened to you recently where you had that kind of that vision, that dream about your your family up in the mountains. And and uh, you remember waking up and you remember like like a tingling in your arms that you felt... Um, and so you just kind of rub your arms a little bit against the cold and the and the rain. And when you look down, you see that one of the bands 
around your arm, the tattoos, it actually has cracked and spiderwebbed. Like there's, instead of it being a solid band, there's like lines of your skin tone showing through, but only one of the bands. And that's definitely new. Oh, man. And just so you know, right after your vision, when you had a terrible perception check, there you go. <laughs> that's what you would have noticed right away. But you didn't. <laughs> that tracks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, that's going to surprise me. And I'm already kind of feeling a bit nauseous. So I'm kind of just going to stare at that and rub my eyes and make sure I'm not seeing things. And Yeah. Why don't you make a make like a hmm, make just an intelligence check, not a save, just an intelligence check. I got a 16 on an intelligence check. Okay. Um, Nari, you're fairly certain that that was one of the one of the last tattoos that you got before you left the mountains. The one that has the cracking in it, the spider webbing in it. And I don't have any idea of what it might mean. The, the cracking and spider webbing? Yeah. Uh, no, but you know that tattooing is important in your culture, in your in your um, not just in the uh, Stormfist kind of clan, but in all of the mountain clans, tattooing is very important. Uh, when you ran into Delon up in the Fallen Heaven hideout, that tall, thin, kind of um, pointed-eared, um, uh, soft paw clan woman, um, she had tattoos different, uh, different than yours, but she also had tattoos that helped differentiate clans and things like that. So tattooing is very important in the mountain tribe uh, cultures, and um, your tattoos specifically... Um, I mean, you have other, maybe, I don't know if you have other tattoos, but a lot of your tattoos signify clan and family and that kind of thing. Um, but tattooing is also a little bit of a, um, a re religious is the wrong word, but a, uh, I guess religious would be the only way to, to put it. It's a, it's a kind of a ritualistic or spiritual, spiritual. Yeah. It's a, it's a spiritual ritualistic experience, um, with your, with your tribes and, and, um, in fact, you you're aware that there is even um, sometimes oracle is the wrong word because I already used that in a previous session, and this is this is a little different. But sometimes there is an old woman in your clan, um, and this is all not new to you. You're not just realizing this, but there's an old woman in your clan that she will tattoo people not knowing what she's going to tattoo on them, and it will then become you know a basically a tossing of the bones to read their future, right? Um, and uh, I don't know, has Nari ever had a tattoo from this woman, do you think? Um, yeah, I think it probably would have been pretty standard for everyone to get a tattoo from her. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, so this spider webbing of tattoo, you have not heard of this before, but tattooing is, there is a, a ritual, a spiritual aspect to the tattoos um, of your clan. So probably means something. Yeah, no, I'm stressing, but I'm also okay. stressing about being on this boat. So I'm just kind of <laughs> pitting out right now. <laughs> nice. Pine will go over to Nari and kind of put his hand on the back of her shoulder, on her back and goes, are you feeling okay? Are you feeling, oh, oh my goodness, you are so sweaty. <laughs> okay, I, I wouldn't even notice because it's raining, but still. <laughs> it's pouring down rain. <laughs> oh, are you sweaty? <laughs> before we before we continue on, though, Pine is going to look over at... Uh, Zach Braff over there is piloting the ship and say, and you, what do you think about inevitability? Uh, me? I, I, I don't know. I, I guess I always just assumed I got to make my own choices. 
That's that's good. That's right. Anyway. What no, <laughs> just, just, Anyway. Um actually I wanna do if it's cool. Actually make a perception check. Wait, just real quick, make an insight check on it. Yeah, okay, thank you. Uh in, insight check. All right, I rolled a nat 20. 420. Oh, he is trying very hard to look like he is not listening to anything you're saying. Okay. Because what, what I was about to say is, um, is this Colbury in disguise? <laughs> you get, okay, with your insight check of your natural 20, I will say, you know this is not Colbury in disguise. Okay. All right. But he still could be, still could be a spy. Um, um, with your with your natural twenty, you get he feels nervous, like okay, like um, like not like nervous. He's not a very good spy. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't be a very good spy. I mean, he's jittery. You know, he's like he's a little bit on edge. He, you, I mean, I'm not gonna tell you what you feel or what how you take it, but it would not be surprising that he knows that your guys's uh, visit to the mayor's retreat did not end well, and you are now on a ship. He's now on a ship with you. Um, taking you where you guys want to go. So it's kind of a little bit of a uneasy uh, position for him to be in right now. Okay. So Pine, kind of changing the topic because Pine doesn't like being listened to. I mean, we're already listened to by Applebottom. So changing the topic, Pine will say to Ebby, Ebby, how far out from Tabory should we get off this boat? We don't want to obviously sail all the way past the city. Um, An excellent question. We're about... How far out are we, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> um, if you guys keep sailing, you guys can probably get to Tabory um, sometime tomorrow morning. Um, a couple things to be aware of. Um, there is a ferry that goes across the river, but they drop the chain when ships come by, right? Because um, there's a chain that goes across the river. And so the people who watch the ferry, they, they drop the chain down into the water and then they raise it back up taut after a ship goes by. Um, uh, other than that, I mean, that's really what you know. Now, we were our ultimate objective. We're trying to get to um, is it the lake? Yeah, it's Westfell Lake. So the river that you're on about a day's walk along the road Um to kind of the south southeast of Tabri is the north bank of Westfell Lake. Got it. Yes. If you can, if you continue following the river, it will eventually lead all the way out to the Sapphire Sea. But the river does not lead to the lake. No, the river goes through the lake, and then on the other side of the lake, the river continues on. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And and just so everyone's aware. Um, any patrons out there who were looking at the map and saying, hmm, something looks odd. On the maps, I corrected it. I spelled Sapphire wrong. I didn't realize Sapphire has two Ps. It's corrected now. <laughs> There's two Ps and an H? I guess I, yeah. my name is Matthew. I shouldn't be confused. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I, I don't think I would have spelled it that way either, to be honest. Yeah, I was typing it out, and sure enough, I'd spelled it wrong, and I thought, oh my gosh, I gotta go correct this now. Okay. <laughs> Sapphire. Cool. And and my name is Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> Matt. So Russell lean over to Ebby and say, Ebby, why not take the boat all the way to the lake? Um, I mean we we might be able to. The question is what kind of risks might we face if we do that? Colbury mentioned that we're probably sought 
you know, wanted, wanted persons now. So I'd, I'd, I'd hate to go that close to Tabery. I was just thinking that we could zip through, but you're, you're probably right. That's, that's probably the smart way to go. So is the plan then to get off the ship before you get to Tabery? Yeah, on the south bank of the river. Okay. Right? I think, I think that makes sense. You, um, Raph, was it? Yeah, that's that's my name, yeah. We'll be getting off the boat before we arrive in Tabry. Oh, okay. So, like, uh, first thing in the morning? Yes, if, uh, at, at least ooh, five miles from Tabry. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think I know a spot where I can get close enough to the bank. Thank you. And I'm going to actually toss him a gold coin. A gold coin. Okay. In the dark, in the rain. <laughs> I'll hand it to him. I'll gently hand it to him in his hand. <laughs> it's too late. He already rolled to catch it, and he rolled a natural one. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> you hear this little bloop in the water, and it's like, it, you know, there's rain hitting the water left and right, but you hear that, like a little bit of a louder bloop of, as the coin goes right in the drink. Okay. Hi, you old man. Stop throwing coins into the water. <laughs> I was making a wish. I wish it would stop raining. Oh, no, now it won't come true. <laughs> you said it out loud. It won't work. I know. I uh, I will. Uh, I'll actually go hand him a gold coin and and say and say, uh, we we do appreciate you taking us down river. We also appreciate your discretion. And I'll hand him one more gold coin. Ooh. Okay. All right, he nods. He says, well, "Thank you, thank you, sir. I, I appreciate it." He he puts it away in like a pouch, and uh, he stands a little taller, um, a little more sure of himself here on this boat. Um, it's getting dark. Uh, not only is it rainy and nasty out, but it is also uh, dark uh, at night. So, um, the plan for Braff is he's going to keep sailing. He has a lantern that he puts up at the front of the ship um, to help kind of make sure he stays away from the bank and off of rocks and things. It's on a pole, kind of hanging out over the water. Um, and uh, he does kind of slow down a little bit because it is dark. But his plan is to keep going all night long, like uh, Lionel Richie. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> in, fact, in fact, we'll just say the name of this ship is the Lionel. Oh, nice. Nice. <laughs> there you go. All right. So um, do you guys want to sleep? Do you guys want to try to stay up? What is your plan? I think we should sleep in shifts, but I actually had a question uh, about what to do with Applebottom. We have an Aeon Stone of sustenance. Can we force that on him? Or does he have to like do something himself in order to make that work? I'm just thinking that having to take the, the, the gag off and everything to let him eat and drink, and that, that's a risk. Yeah, he doesn't get to eat and drink. And we all would much rather have food, so. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think he has to attune to it. Okay. Um, but it was his, so I mean, you can ask him. And to be fair, he asked for water, and I don't think Abby's given him water yet. No, of course not. Huzzah! Good time to negotiate. <laughs> he's he's just sucking on the inside of his uh, on on the, the hood, <laughs> oh. the burlap. <laughs> but it's but he's got the uh, he's got the gag in his mouth. It's oh, man. raining, you guys. 
That's, that's what I'm saying. He's just like sucking the water out of the burlap ma- uh, hood that he has on now. You guys, yeah. you guys sound like my kids. We don't need to give the chickens water. They drink from the mud puddles. And I'm like, <laughs> I know they drink from the mud puddles, but they still need fresh water. Uh, anyway. <laughs> All right. So, Applebottom, we have this crystal of sustenance. Would you like that? You hear a little grunt, and then you see his head nod up and down. I will kind of try to, like, I'll, like, rest it on the back of his head, hoping that's what is supposed to happen. And just kind of, like, set it there. Yeah, you balance it there, and after about two or three minutes, it starts to kind of, it rises up off of his head, and it starts to kind of circle around his head. It gives off a little glow as well, so now there's, like, basically the light spell happening around Chancellor Ramsey. Okay. And that's something we can take away from him, if need be. You have to grab it. There's, like, a there's like a DC to grab it off of him. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you're going to sleep in shifts? I think we should just set up some watch. Yeah, set up some watches. Okay. Who's going first? Nari's down to go first. She's not feeling very well anyway. Okay, let's see. Nari and Ebby. Um, I'm guessing Ebby because Ebby's always awake. Yep. Okay, awesome. Uh, Braff is in the back. He's standing up. You see him yawning and things, but he looks like he's doing fine. He probably has done this you know, overnight sailing many, many times. Um, I want you guys to make um, either perception or survival checks. Um, Nari, do you want to take this one? I can do that for sure. Uh, with advantage, right? Yes. It's a uh, nineteen. Nineteen. Okay. Um, as you are um, sitting there, you guys can talk about whatever you want to talk about. Um, the rain is pounding. Um, there's a. Uh, far off thunder again like there was last night um as you're sitting there having whatever conversation you're going to have uh nari you see that um braff um he is uh he's starting to look a little uneasy you're not sure if it's because of the weather or because it's dark out or maybe his courage that he got um from the gold coin has now worn off or the two gold coins um but you notice that he's he's kind of getting a little bit um, antsy, might be the word. It, it, it very well could just be the weather and the nastiness. But you and Ebby are keeping watch. Um, I'll ask him if he's if he's doing okay, if he feels like he needs someone else to help him with the ship. He says, oh, do you, do you know how to sail? I mean, how difficult can it be? I, if, if you need some rest, I can certainly sit in the back like you're doing. Um, why don't you make a persuasion check? All right, I got a three. He says, well, uh, no offense, ma'am, but I, I did see you, you getting sick earlier. I, I, I think I'd rather, I'd, I'd rather take, keep hold of the tiller, uh, for the time being. But thank you for the offer. Ooh, well, what about me? I could take on the boat's tailor, triller, filler thing. <laughs> oh man! He's like, I, I, I thank you, uh, good sir, but um, I will. Uh, I'll be fine throughout the night. I've done this. I've done this many, many times. Pine, Pine kind of rolls over and says, "Geez, Ebby, it's called the tickler." <laughs> <laughs> How embarrassing! <laughs> you should be embarrassed. Your face should be redder than a strawberry. <laughs> That was also a Scrubs joke. 
because they were going to go to the live the library and then they're like no it's library and then later the guy is like your face is redder than a strawberry (laughs) (laughs) all right scrubs great show let's move on did ebby and nari want to have any kind of conversation are we moving on to the next watch uh i think we can move on to the next watch yeah i think i'm good who's taking second watch i will all right yeah, uh, so, I mean, Abby, if you want to do the perception for this one, all right, or I could either one. Uh, sure, I'll, I can give it a shot. Okay. And 17. Oh, did you want me to try with with advantage? Yeah. Yeah, we'll do it. We'll say advantage. You guys both have night vision, so. Okay. Uh, 23. Ooh, nice. All right. Uh, Pine, you and Abby, you start your normal chit-chat conversation. Um. But you can see that something's off. Something is off. And so I'm just going to kind of explain what happens. Um, As you guys are talking and looking around, the ship is kind of, you can see, you can see around the ship. You can even see like the kind of the, at this point, the ship is heading straight south, not so much. So we talk about the south bank and the north bank. At this point, the west bank curves it'll curve into the south bank on the other uh, uh by tabory right so um you can see the west bank um pine you glance over and you you're pretty sure that you actually catch a quick glimpse of like the coloring of the aurora borealis running alongside the ship okay like crumbles is still there um and as you're glancing that way towards the towards the shore ebby you um are looking um that the ship is about to go around kind of a, a curve, a, a, a bend in the river. And uh, at this point, you just happen to glance back as Braff um, glances left and right, a panicked look on his face, pulls out a dagger and cuts the line for the sail. What? As you're watching, he leaps off of the ship into the water and starts swimming to shore. Curses, Pine, we're in a tight spot. How far are we from the shore? Uh, From the shore, you're probably, you're like in the middle of the river. It is coming in towards a bend. um, And um, as the ship starts to slow, um, the river is kind of um, rocky. So it's kind of uneven footing, uh, hard to keep standing. it starts to slow and the current brings it in towards the middle of the river. There are oars on this ship. Um, and uh, as you're looking around for the oars to try to figure out what to do, um, and with your 23 perception, we will say that there is no surprise round. <laughs> um, from around the bend, you see suddenly a lantern is uncovered and coming around the bend, you see a ship approaching you. Okay. Pine will kick Roos and Nari and say, Get up! We've been betrayed! <laughs> okay. And what we are going to do is... as Okay, so as the as the ship that you're on kind of uh, founders in the water... Or is it flounders? Founders? Flounders? Flounders are fish and it lives in the water, so sure. It is definitely flounders. It is if flounders in the water. Okay. As it flounders... Well, that's the name of their ship. The name of your ship is uh, the Lionel. No, I was saying the name of the enemy ship. Oh, the enemy ship. Okay, there we go. It's the flounder. 
Um, so your ship, as it loses, uh, quote unquote, control and drifts more towards the center of the river where the where the main current is currently, this other ship comes around the bend. As you see it, it is a little bit bigger than the ship that you are on. It still only has a single mast. But as you look, you see that it is crowded with um, it looks like soldiers. And it looks like even in the dim light, you see gray um, on coats and jackets. You see at the bow, at the fore of the ship, whatever you want to call it, you see um, there are there is a lantern at the front of that ship lighting their way. And you see four men at the front with bows and arrows ready to fire on you. And you see three other men in the back, uh, one of them very well armored. And how wide is the river? Uh, at this point, the river is 90 yards across. So right now you're probably halfway, so it's 45 yards, which would be 135 feet to the shore. Okay. And the ship is coming towards you. We are going to roll initiative. All right, Nari rolled a 17. Pine rolled an 18. Roos rolled an 8. Evie rolled a 14. All right, at the very top of the order, we have Pine. Pine, you see this ship coming towards you, a lantern in the front. Four men on the front have bows and arrows, and it looks like they are getting ready to pull back and fire on your ship. There are three other men in the back. What is Pine going to do? It looks like at this point, the ships are about 20 or 30 feet apart. Pine will, uh, because there's distance here, Pine really, I just... I just passed up buying a longbow from uh, Gerard. Um, I'm like, are you sure you don't want to get some javelins? <laughs> <laughs> like, no, I have daggers. No, actually, what I'm going to do is for my bonus action, I'm going to go ahead and draw Kennig's S-Dock. And I'm going to say, Field Marshal, sir, I ask your aid. And I'm going to chuck it at the boat. Oh, my gosh. I forgot about that. That's awesome. All right. So it uh, the just the archer on the very front, because I think it only can go out. Uh, how far away can I cast that? I can throw it uh, 60 feet, 60 feet, and then I can move it 20 feet. So, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and toss it right next to the uh, the archer, the very front um, kind of by. Yeah, by that art, by the front archer and one of the other archers. And then um, I rolled a uh, critical hit. Oh, my gosh. Which one are you uh, attacking? So I rolled that 20. Uh, the very the one in the front. Okay. And then uh, on the bow. And so that is uh, 14 force damage from Kennig's S-Talk. Oh my gosh. Yeah, as you toss it out there, you toss it, you're like, every, like anybody watching this is like, he just threw that sword right in the water. And then it's like, it gets caught right out of the air and whips around and just stabs. It's like somebody is standing on the water, like above the water enough to get over the edge of that, of that ship and just stabs right into that front uh, archer. And the archer instantly is very, very hurt. Still standing, but very, very hurt. Okay. And then uh, how about how far am I from me personally? Uh, 25 feet from that guy. Okay. Is there any within uh, 20 feet? It looks like one of the archers will be within 20 feet. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, the, arch the archer is within 20 feet. I'm going to go ahead and throw two daggers at him. Okay. So the first attack will be a nine. So that dagger is probably gone. <laughs> that dagger is probably actually you know what roll if you want to try to well if you want to see if it stays in the ship you can roll a percentile or a, roll roll a die and then odds it's in the ship evens it's out of the ship evens it's out of the ship okay 
Bloop. So it's it's gone. I rolled an eight. Uh, and then, um, so my second attack now will be a 23 to hit. That one does hit. Why don't you roll some damage? Okay, that does uh, eight damage to the other archer, the archer that's a bit closer than me. Okay, yeah, perfect. Okay, so two of the archers have been hit, um, one with the S-Doc and one with a dagger. Awesome. Anything else you want to do? I'm going to stay positioned there so that as soon as they get close enough, because I'm imagining they're going to try to board us, so that I can be ready to uh, to strike at them in me- uh, melee combat. Okay. Uh, Nari. Yeah, I think Nari is also going to throw um, both of her hand axes. Okay, so there's two that have already been hit. Did you want to throw at one of them, or did you want to throw at somebody else who is fresh? Yeah, no, at the, the same two that have already been hit there. Okay, so one has been hit really hard, and the other one has been hit less hard. Okay. Which one do you want to throw at? I will take the one in the front here. Okay. He's the one who is who got hit real hard. Yeah. Okay, so what was your first what was your first throw? Uh 18 to hit. Okay, that that does hit. So go ahead and roll, roll damage for that one. All right, 6 damage. All right. That archer falls off the front of the ship into the water. Okay, so your second axe you can throw at somebody else. All right, and then I will also hit the other guy who is injured, um, and that's 13 to hit. That barely hits. Roll some damage for that one. Nice. Uh, Eight damage. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Barely enough, and just like that, two of the archers are down and in the drink. Anything else you want to do, Nari? Uh, Nope. All right, Ebby, you're up. All right. um, I'm going to... Summon a level three Dardriel's eye and drop it right on their boat. Oh no! Um, I'm gonna drop it right here. Oh shoot! So there's the three people positioned in the back of the boat. I'm gonna drop it right in between all three of them. Oh man, that's right. And then so everyone within five feet when he shows up, uh, they take damage, right? Yeah, it's a dex uh, fifteen dex save, or they take three d six fire, or half if they succeed. All right, we're going to do three deck saves. Uh, one of them made it. How much damage is that? Uh, nine damage if they if they fail their save. Sorry. Actually, two of them saved. The other ones take uh, half damage, right? Yes. Okay. So one of them takes... So the heavily armored dude, he takes nine damage. And the other two... One of them looks um, uh, like just kind of a normal guard. He's the one who's handling the tiller of the ship. Um, the other one uh, looks fairly familiar. Um, uh, he takes four damage. And as, you, as you're looking at the other guy on the ship, you can't help but think of a, a sexy saxophone solo being played in the background. <laughs> I often can't help but think about that. <laughs> All right. Nice. And then for, for bonus action, I'm going to... I'm calling out my sexy unicorn then to combat oh. the sexy saxophone that's happening. Oh man, this is this just doesn't this could not get better. All right. And we're gonna we're gonna put it right here so it just kind of emanates from our ship. Okay, so there's a sexy unicorn on your ship catching all of you in its uh in its aura. He comes clomping out to clapping his front hooves together, throwing his mane. Um, and he looks at you, Abby, and he gives you a wink and then starts doing his kind of where he's kind of dancing to music that only he can hear. 
always I want to be with you and make believe with you. Live in harmony, harmony. That song came on my Spotify and my wife was like, what is this? And I said, you don't matter. She's like, no, I remember this song, but why are you listening to it? And I'm like, oh, it's, it's great. It's a great song. Because Erasure is amazing. <laughs> okay. So the uh, the uh, the saxophone player guy, um, you remember him. He was the guard who, um, when you guys came back to Tabory, I described his uniform and I said he had a saxophone on his neck. He didn't really have a saxophone, but it is that guy. It is that very same guard. Um, he is uh, He moves along the ship a little bit to get closer, and he is going to pull out a javelin and he's going to try to throw it at Pine. Let's see if he can hit you, Pine. Oh, I'm fairly certain that hits. A 23. Does that hit? That definitely hits. All right. Javelins are a D6. Uh, that, I think that's eight damage, man. Okay. Eight damage. Yep. Ouch. And then um, he's going to take out another Javelin, and he's going to throw another Javelin. Uh, 21. That will also hit. Uh, nine damage. Oh, shoot. Okay, just like that, guys. That hurt. Okay. All right. And that brings us now to the archers on the front of the ship. Okay. Um, they each get two shots. So they are going to shoot at... The first one is going to take his two shots at... Um, Nari. The second one is going to take his two shots at... Ebby. So, Nari, two shots coming your way. Does a does a six or an eight hit you? Uh, neither of those hit me, Paul. <laughs> okay. Ebby, does an oh, does a 22 or a six hit you? <laughs> the 22, yes. Okay, so Ebby, you get hit once and you take eight damage. Oof. All right. And Roos, it is your turn. Roos will reach into his pouch and uh, <clears throat> one of his you know, large pockets and pull out a crystal, a sleep crystal, mm -hmm. and throw it over towards the archers. Okay. Trying to center it um, so that the, the, the radius will hit both the archers and the sexy saxophone player over there. Okay. Sounds good. I got 27 hit points of sleep. I am going to make a roll. All right. Um, as that crystal shatters on the ship, the of the two archers left, there's one that's closer on the left, one, one more on the right. The one on the left, um, he falls over asleep. Okay, I'll holler out and I say, the one on the left, he's he's asleep. Is that your turn? That is my turn. Oh, I'm going to run up over and kind of stand over uh, Ramsey's body, just in case, to kind of shield him from anything that might come his way and kind of push him lower on the boat. Okay. Well, here is what is going to happen now. It is now the guard at the tiller's turn. He is going to move this ship in closer, and I'm fairly certain that he can make this work. Um, Ebby, your Dardriel's eye is going to... Is it on the boat, or is it floating? It is. It's on the boat, and I, I wanted to also bring this up. Uh, the sphere ignites flammable objects not being oh, worn or carried. Yes. So the, um, okay, well, that is, um, that's a very good point. So um, when he flashed into existence, he very well may have caught that um, 
that sail on fire, but definitely the ship is uh, starting to smolder. Uh, let's see. I'm going to make a quick luck check and see if the um, sail did catch. It looks like the sail did catch on fire. Okay, so um, this guard is going to make a check. Okay, he does manage to control the ship well enough to move it over to the to your ship. Um, Pine, your um, your floating uh, uh, Kenig's S stock is uh, left kind of behind as the ship sails past it. The front, let's see, how do we say this? The the bow, the port bow of the uh, of the imperial ship comes crashing into the port bow of your ship. And now, um, Pine, you are right next to the front of the other ship, and it is now the um, the heavily armored. We'll call him the Imperial Great Swordsman. It is his turn, and he is going to move across the ship. He jumps up onto the ship, so he is now between um, Ebby, Pine, and Roos, and he is going to make two greatsword attacks. Who is he going to attack? It is going to be against Roos. Roos, does a 14 hit you? A 14 does not hit me. Okay, the second attack is going to be against Ebby. Ebby, does a 21 hit you? Oof, yes. That is... That is five damage. The least <laughs> amount of damage this guy can do with a great sword. Oh, All right, man. I'd almost feel bad for you, but. <laughs> All right, Pine, it is your turn. Sweet. Okay. Well, Pine then is going to, with this uh, heavily armored great sword uh, Imperial soldier in front of him, uh, Pine's going to go ahead and take both of his attacks against that guy. Okay, so fantastic. I will uh, first attack is a 13, which I imagine misses. Actually, wait, no, no. It is a 23. Does that hit? That does hit. Okay. Did so you see how I, will... I didn't say anything? <laughs> Thank you. You're so that's welcome. 13 piercing damage. Okay. Plus 3d8 of uh, Swordmaster's Fury. Oh, man. So that's another 20 damage on top of that. So that's 33 damage. Oh, my gosh. How much more damage was that? 20? Yeah, so a total of 33. Uh huh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, uh, there's your first attack. That's my first attack. My second attack is going to be uh, 15. Now, that'll miss. Oh, yeah, that does miss. I'm pretty sure. And then for my bonus uh, action, I'm going to go ahead and bring Kenig's S talk into the fight again. So 20 feet. Um, it's going to come after the, uh, the tiller, the guy at the tiller. Okay. So. The attack roll will be. Uh, does a fourteen hit the guy at the tiller? Uh, no, it does not. Dang it! Okay, all right, that's my turn. Okay. All right, and next it is Nari. Okay, can I get up here in this business, or you can jump onto the front of the you can jump onto the front of the other ship. That's not a problem. Okay, dope. So then, yeah, I will definitely do that. I will hop on over there and I will swing at, um, I'll swing at this guy with my great axe, the okay. the big guy. You're gonna swing at the heavily armored great swordsman. Yes. Okay, make um, your attack. Okay, nineteen to hit. That does hit. Nice. Okay, and then we are going to do sixteen damage. 
Oh my gosh. Jeez. He is feeling like he's in control and you just hit him from behind and you're not even sure if he died, but he goes in the water and instantly is beneath the water in his plate armor. Jeez. Oh, okay, and then I'm going to hit not the guy who's asleep, but the guy on the other side, the other archer there. I'm going to swing at him too for nine. That misses. Okay. Okay. That's it. <laughs> All right. Well, there goes the great swordsman. Okay, Ebby, you're up. You've got two archers, one of whom is asleep. You've got the uh, the sexy saxophone player, and you have um, the guy at the tiller, at the tickler. All right. Now, just a, a quick question for, about combat mechanics. If somebody is like a long range fighter, but they're within melee range, do they get like disadvantage on their attacks and stuff? Only if they're trying to attack the person who is directly next to them. Does that make sense? Got it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, well, I think I think I'm gonna let Dardriel's eye just stay there, and they'll have to make the DC 15 deck saving throw. The okay. tiller guy and the <laughs> saxophonist, <laughs> the the captain of the guard guy, whatever he is. Okay, so the tiller guy failed. The sexy saxophonist he passed. So what's the damage? All right, the damage is another nine. Okay. So Sexy Saxophone takes four, and then Tiller Guy takes nine damage. Okay. All right. Wait, now that, with... could, that damage could be huge, couldn't it? Yeah, it, well, it's 3d6, so. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's not it's not gigantic, but, you know, but it's consistent, right? Yeah. Um, And then I'm going to actually, so that was kind of like, I guess, a bonus action, if you will. So I'm going to use my actual action to do a second level um Erdos's touch on Pine. Okay. To heal Pine for 13. And then all of us get plus five. So Pine gets an additional plus five. Bless you, Ebby. And just like just like that, I'm full again. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Yep. No, I'm done. Okay, cool. Um, Ebby, what I want you to do, I want you to roll a D20. Um, and what you're doing is you're rolling to see how far the fire has spread. A higher number means more spread. Got it. So Ebby rolled an 11. Okay. So basically everywhere within five feet of your Dardriel's eye is now aflame, including the, um, the sail on this other ship. Dope. Cool. All right. That brings us to the saxophonist. Um, we'll call him... Well, I'm already calling him the saxophonist. I was going to call him the Imperial Swordsman. So we have the Imperial Great Swordsman and the Imperial Swordsman. But here comes Saxophone Man, Kenny G. Um, <laughs> he comes rushing in and fills the spot that the um, that the uh, Great Swordsman was, uh, was standing in. And he has a sword in one hand, a long sword, and a short sword in the other hand. And he is going to make three attacks. And he has four choices, four people to choose from. So we'll see who he's going to hit with his first attack. Goes against Nari. Come at me, bro. Nari does a does a twenty two hit. A twenty two does hit. Okay, that is going to be four damage. Oh no! The second is also against Nari, and does a does a uh, fifteen hit. No. Okay, and then the last attack is going to be uh, against Nari again. 
All right, dude. <laughs> does that 14 hit? No, it does not. All right. No. When you called this guy Kenny G, I imagined that all, that this fight all of a sudden stopped and we were doing the Kenny G, Michael Bolton uh, dueling banjos from the Michael Bolton Big Sexy Valentine's Day special. <laughs> what a great movie. I forgot all about that thing. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Uh, all right. Okay, it is now the um the archer's turn. So the archer that is awake, he is going to uh he's going to shoot his bow at um Roos. He's going to shoot uh over the sleeping guy past the saxophonist and right at Roos twice. So Roos does a 20 or a natural 20 hit. Roos, you got hit twice. Okay. Both of those hit, yeah. Yes. Okay, so the first hit is just the regular hit, and that is going to be a total of um, five damage. Okay. The second is going to be a total of uh, 10 damage. So 15 total from two different okay. arrows. Okay. Roos, that brings us to you. So Roos will um, have his short sword and dagger out, and he'll take a couple of strikes at the at uh, Kenny G there in front of him. Okay. The first one with his short sword is a 20 to hit. That does hit. Looks like he's wearing like splint armor. Okay. So I rolled nine piercing damage and then 13 precision damage for a total of 22. Oh my gosh. That's right. Level five. Okay. I'll remember that for next time. (laughs) All right. And then with his, with his offhand, Roll the 15 to hit. That does not hit. Okay. That's all I got. Is the saxophone still up? The saxophone? Oh, yeah. The saxophone is still up for sure. Yeah. He hasn't taken that much damage. He's made his saves. Um, last, we have the guy at the tiller. Um, he has now crashed his ship into your ship. Um, his ship is aflame and uh, his sail is on fire. So he realizes he has nowhere else to go. So he comes around Dardriel's eye and he is going to stab his spear at Roos. Roos does another natural 20 hit you. Oh, brutal. Yeah, that that one hits. Okay, so that will be that'll be 12 damage, Roos. These dice tonight. All right, I'll take it. Okay. And uh, that is his turn, which brings us um, past the dead great swordsman and on to Pine. Well, maybe dead, maybe still drowning. Who knows? (laughs) Uh, okay, so seeing the other boat on fire and having our boat basically touching it, um, Pine is going to uh, look look around. Can he, can he see the ore anywhere close? Um, make a make a quick perception check. Okay, not a high difficulty. Oh yeah, does a does a natural one so a four does that do it? Uh, it does not. Um, in fact, uh, it looks like it might be when uh, when uh, Braff cut the line for the sail, the sail actually kind of fell into the bottom of the boat and it's probably somewhere underneath that sail, um, totally hidden. And you're going to have to move the sail to get to get to it. OK, well, then I'm just going to do my attacks then against. Uh, I'll start with the uh, the saxophone swordsman. OK. OK, first attack. Does a 19 hit? It does hit. All right. That's eight piercing or yeah, eight damage. Okay. Okay. Uh, and then my uh, I'm gonna do a first level Swordmaster's Fury. Uh, okay. So that is an additional oh three damage. Oh, that's right. a eleven total. Okay. Yeah, he's still standing. Yeah, I'll do my second attack. Does a fifteen hit him? No, we've already no, determined that. Not. 
Okay, well then my uh, Kendig's S doc will move in and uh, also attack him. Okay. So let's roll for that. Um, does a 16 hit him? So close, but not quite. You see that it would have skewered one of the other soldiers, but this guy's got like splint mail on and it, it he stabs in. You see that you see the blade stab in and then it kind of just uh, tings off to the side as it catches a plate in, that's in his splint mail. Okay, uh, but at the end of my turn, Pine will say, we have to get out of here. These boats are going down. All right, Nari, you're up. Nari is going to take a stab at the saxophonist um, <laughs> with her her great axe. Okay. With a 17 to hit. That does hit, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, and then we're going to do 15 damage. Oh my gosh. Oh man, this guy is hurting so bad. All right, so I'm going to come in again with another great axe swing for a 19 to hit. That hits. Um, and then I got 12 damage. All right. This guy he uh um I was going to try to come up with like a careless whisper joke. Um well, he's never going to dance again. He yeah, this guy's never going to dance again. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> oh man, that was so good. So good. Uh anyway, yeah, this guy's never gonna dance again as he falls into the boat um dead. In fact, he falls into the fire and you see the flames starting to lick up around his armor. So just to be clear what's still going on, in the other ship, the Imperial ship, there is a sleeping archer there is still one archer standing and there is a basically a regular imperial soldier um, as well as a floating s-talk and dardriel's eye and fire all right that brings us to ebby okay um i want to i guess let's do let's move dardriel's eye can i move it to occupy near the same space as the S-Dock, like just underneath it? You sure can. Yeah, you're not going to damage the S-Dock. The S-Dock, it doesn't take take up its space, I don't think. Okay, cool. Yeah, let's do that, so that way we can hit all three of the remaining fighting people. So basically move Dardriel's eye right on top of the body of the guy that just fell over. Can we say that when Dardriel's eye kind of floats past the S-Dock, it's almost like there's an internal glow coming, and you can actually see more of the shape of what what you assume is Field Marshal Kennig. You can actually see almost like an interior glow um, showing the edges of his jacket and his cape and even a little bit of the shape of his head. It's like putting a light underneath like blown glass or something. You can see all yeah. the bubbles and stuff. Oh, that's rad. I like that idea. Um, cool. So everybody has to do their DC 15 deck save. Um, I'm guessing the sleeping guy, is that an automatic fail? That's an automatic fail. So he's not going to make it. Imperial Guard dude is uh, going to fail, and then the archer is uh, going to pass. Okay. Um, 14 damage for those that fail, half if they pass. All right. So the Imperial Guard uh, basic soldier, he falls into the water on fire, screaming, and then under the water and is gone. You now have um, two archers who are awake. All right, and then I'll use my my actual action now. 
to okay. do Erdas's touch on Bruce this time. Much appreciated. So 10 healing damage, and then everybody gets five. Bruce, you get an extra five. And that brings us now to the archers. So we have the archer who just woke up. He is going to spend half of his movement to stand up. And he is going to take, he is going to shoot either at Ebby or Roos because they are not directly next to him like Pine and Nari are. And let's see, who is, who is he going to shoot at? Odds and evens. He is going to shoot at Ebby. Ebby, two shots at you. The first shot is a 12. That misses. The second shot is a 8. That misses. He still has like uh, the sleep dust in his eyes, right? From from <laughs> from waking up, you know, he's got like the big old booger next to his eyeball. Um, <laughs> the second guy is going to shoot at either Pine, Ebby, or Roos, and we'll see. He's going to shoot at Pine. Pine, here you go. First shot. Does a no? A fifteen does not hit you. Nope. How about a twenty-three? That will yes. Okay, you take seven damage from okay. a longbow. And um, that is their turn. Oh, Ebby, one more thing I want you to do. I want you to roll a flame spread. Last time, I think you rolled an 11. Um, if you roll um, above a 10, it's going to spread out five more feet. Another 11. Oh, no. Okay, so the scouts are now standing in the fire. Um, this ship is going up. Here's the problem. The ship... Um, Part of the ship that's on fire is part of the ship that is now touching your ship. So it's not catching your ship on fire yet, but there is a very real possibility of that happening. Bruce, it is your turn. Bruce is gonna kind of stand up on the edge of the boat because he's he's right up on the bow and he's gonna take one foot um, and kind of kick off the other boat and kind of push it away as best he can. Okay. Why don't you make a strength check? Can I do athletics? Um, yeah, I guess you can do athletics. Yeah, sure. Why not? Okay. But you can't do <laughs> acrobatics. No acrobatics. No, I, yeah, I, I assumed I wouldn't be able to do acrobatics, but uh, strength is negative one. And so the athletics is at least a plus two. I rolled a 21. Nice. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yes. Nice. Okay. You managed to, um, kick and push the ship five feet away. Nari, you are on a ship that is on fire and you now have a gap of at least five feet between you and the other <laughs> ship. <laughs> I want to holler over at Nari and say, jump on back to our boat. I got long legs. It's all good. <laughs> I, I think that with your strength, there is no way you can't make that jump. All right. <laughs> That brings us to Pine. Pine, there are still two archers on this ship. And an and Anari. Okay, Pine is going to use his uh, commanding shout to yell to one of the archers. Uh, and he will say, Swim! And the uh, archer needs to make a DC 14 wisdom saving throw or be compelled to do that action. Oh, he rolled a natural 17. That would have been awesome, though. Okay, well then my um, Kenig's S-Stock, which is you know, basically glowing from underneath uh, thanks to Dardriel's eye, will take an attack on the one that I did not command to swim. Okay. Sort of the one in the middle of the ship, yeah. Sure. Uh, 24 to hit. Is that a critical hit? No, it would be a 26. Okay. 
but it's nine damage to that to that one. Kennig's S doc has been an MVP this battle. I know, right? He just took down an archer again. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. There's one archer left. Sweet. All right, Nari, it is your turn. Okay, Nari is going to jump back onto the other boat if she can. Uh, you know what? I don't. I won't even make you make any kind of check. Okay. <laughs> because it's so close. It's still only five feet. Your strength is definitely enough to make that jump. Yeah, she's gonna. She's gonna kind of just hop back. Um, and I think like as she hops back, if she can, just kind of like push off of the boat to try to send it further away. Okay, why don't you make an athletics check with disadvantage? All right, with disadvantage, it's 12. You pushed it back, but not enough to really change. It's going to continue to to drift backwards um, away from you. Um, But then again, your ship is going to continue to drift the same way as the ship because you're now caught in the um, in kind of the the ebb, the, the flow, the current of this river. But it will probably move further away from you as it goes. And then did you want to do any kind of attack or anything? Um, no, I I mean, well, did I, I guess I could have grabbed my hand axes back or did they fall in the river and they're gone? I'm pretty sure your hand axes hit. And so I think they're in the boat. Okay. Um, so then I will take one hand axe and try to shoot at the last remaining archer. Okay. Um, and that is a nat 20 to hit. So oh, nice. Crit. There we go. So 14 damage total. Finish him. Yeah, he goes in the drink. That ship that is on fire with Dardriel's eyes still kind of like, I imagine it kind of like smiling and bouncing up and down and, you know, kind of uh, uh, catching things on fire and kind of really enjoying itself. Um, It just continues to to burn this ship and you guys are on this other ship which you at currently have no control over we are out of initiative i just want to know what you guys are going to do here in the very near future pine will reclaim kennig zestock and then start digging around for ores and our ship is not on fire like we're we're fine your ship did not catch on fire okay you guys you guys got through this battle um probably as good as you could have. So I think uh, Ebby is going to cease um, concentrating on Dardrill's eye, so that kind of stops. And I'm going to summon the apparition beast of Lord Moshe in its water form. What does that look like? So... Um, its beast form was kind of like this rock um, wolf thing, the Hound of, of Lady Valley. Um, in this case, it's kind of materializes almost like a, a shark of some sort in the okay. water, formed of kind of like water itself, um, but more substantive. It's got more substance to it. And I'm going to command it to push our boat to the shore. Oh, Okay, yeah, push your boat to the shore. Okay. So it's made out of water, though? I was thinking of that it's kind of like an elemental type thing is yeah. kind of how I envision it. So like like water, but, you know, like a concentration of water. Right. So almost like you can, you can, there's just like a slight 
edge to it where you can see where the shark form is um and it starts to push against your um your ship do you know like what its strength is it's it's actually an 18 strength oh my gosh <laughs> why don't you just make a strength check or an athletics check whichever is easier for this beast to do we'll do strength because i've got that immediately available so it did a 10 for strength okay all right, you can feel it starting to push, but it's definitely going to, I mean, it'll go faster if you, um, you can get to the shore quicker if you get an oar out, which is what Pine is doing. Um, Pine, after a while, you manage to get a, an oar out uh, to help paddle. Um, Roos, Nari, what are you guys doing? Roos is checking on Applebottom to make sure that uh, he's okay and nothing hit him. Yeah, you, you pat him down. It looks like he's none the worse for wear. Nari will... I think just kind of be on the lookout to make sure there's not any other ships or she doesn't see any like lights on either side of the riverbank. Nothing suspicious. Okay. All right. So what I want to do, um, who is going to be using the ore? Pine, is that you? Yeah, Pine will use the ore. Okay. So Pine, why don't you make an athletics check with advantage because you're being helped by this watery beast. Um, that's going to help us to determine how fast you're able to get to the shore. All right. So I rolled a 16 with advantage. Okay, so uh, you start hauling on the ship and the beast is pushing against it. And with a 16, you manage to get to the shore before it completes the turn. Because um, remember, this was kind of at a bend in the river. Um, and you manage to, um, to beach the ship you're on um, fairly, um, easily is the wrong word, but quickly, fairly quickly. Um, as the, the ship that you're on, as it beaches itself, you guys all kind of collect yourselves. Uh, gather up your belongings uh pine you glance over onto the shore um where you just beached yourself and uh out of the tree line you see um a an aurora borealis colored alaton comes striding out um of the woods um, okay so he, crumbles has followed you to this point so we would definitely grab everything uh grab apple bottom get past the tree line i Pine is going to attempt to knock uh, Apple Bottom out with the hilt of his sword. Okay. Um, <laughs> we'll say you can just keep doing it until you knock him out. Okay. So um, why don't you roll here? I'm going to have you roll a D4. And then that's the number of times it takes you hitting him before he's knocked out. So th three times. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> whap, whap. Wow. And then you feel him. I mean, I don't know who's I'm guessing that Nari is carrying Nari, you can feel his body slump um over your shoulder and you know that he is unconscious. Do you guys think we should shove the ship off and try and make it not look like so obvious that we landed here since we're probably not gonna use it again or I think that's a great idea. I mean it's it's worthless now the ropes are cut. I can use my bonfire skill and we can set it ablaze. That might be a beacon if anyone's watching. There's already a beacon on the water. If we were to push it off into the water and light it, on, light it on fire, maybe they would think that we've all gone down. Yeah, the other ship is definitely ablaze. Yeah. I think Ebby will use his bon create bonfire cantrip and set the boat ablaze. And then while he still has his apparition beast active, um, see if it can push the boat, flaming boat, closer to the other one so they both go down close to together. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, with you just get, go ahead and make a quick strength check just to see um, how effective that is. Come on, spirit beast. Another 10. 
<laughs> All right, so the spirit beast is able to get the ship out into the water, um, and it's able to get it out back into the current. It keeps pushing and pushing and pushing until there's not enough of the ship left for it to push. They get fairly close, but not locked together or anything like that um, before the ships kind of break apart and start to sink. Um, cool. Yeah. Okay. So it is pouring down rain. You guys are soaking wet. You just had a naval battle um, where you decimated some Imperial forces. You have been betrayed by somebody. We know one person who was involved, and it's Braff. Um, but it is the middle of the night. In fact, I rolled a die before all this happened. It is now one o'clock in the morning. You are on the shore. You are at this point probably walking maybe eight hours from Tabory, from uh, Gorton's Ferry, which is across the river from Tabory. And that is where we're going to end for tonight. So awesome, guys. If you guys like what we're doing and you have enjoyed this episode, go ahead and tweet at us. Hashtag 12-SidedGuys. That's one, two-sided guys. Go check out our Patreon. Yeah, let us know if you want us to do more uh, piracy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we might do more piracy stuff or not, but let us know if you like it. Pine can wear a big hat, yeah. <laughs> I think I'd rather be a privateer than a pirate. Uh... <laughs> Ooh. Mr. I don't want to be legally corrupted. I want to be hired by the Church of England and have my sins be justified. Nice. Oh, totally. Yeah, I'll steal from other countries, but just, you know, be loyal to mine. <laughs> okay, so yeah, but if you like what you see, if you if you have like a, a vision of this battle and you want to draw some fan art, that's awesome. Send that, send that our way as well. Um, other than that, we'll be back next week for more Crystal Codex. Until then, have a great night, and we'll see you next week.